We're going to have a very special rest of our Mother's Day service because you get the opportunity to hear from these five incredible women from our church. All different seasons of life, um, and and they're going to share some really incredible and really deep things with you, and I want you to open up your hearts to them. Each of them has seven minutes. Five and seven. Five women, seven minutes each, and, um, and they've got a timer down here that blinks red when they go over. And so that's the challenge for them today. <laughs> so you ladies... Peek down on occasion, um, and it's going to be really fantastic. Now, here's the thing. If you don't do this all the time, this can be scary. It is. It's, it can be frightening if you don't do it a lot. And so um, you, you're really nice. I mean, just look at, look at you. You're smiley. You're happy. It's awesome. But you still can be kind of intimidating, especially when someone's speaking, because then you don't do this face anymore. You do this face. So, so watch out for that face and be their friend today. Like, if they tell a joke, just laugh. Don't say, you're not as funny as Brent. Don't say that. Just, just laugh. Laugh freely. Right? See? <laughs> you, don't, 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 I was kidding. Don't, don't, just laugh freely. Don't, and don't, don't listen to them with a, a, a theological degree mindset. Oh, I don't know about the interpretation of that Greek word. I, no. Don't do that. Like, just, just be on their side. Cheer them on. If they say something good, give them Amen. If they say something good, mm, that's good. If it's really good, you can say, wow, you can, whatever. Maybe keep that one out. So that's, that might be too far. Um, but just enjoy them today because I've heard it a couple times now. And man, it's really, really good. And I'm thankful for what Jesus is saying to them and through them. And so, uh, so this is Michelle Skellinger. And she's awesome. She leads our prayer team. This is Misty Parsley. And she's one of our youth pastors. This is Maria Parsley. And this is my wife. This is Christina Campos. And t- big fans. Uh, this is Annette Yanez. Okay. And so they, uh, they really, it's going to be wonderful. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go for it. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for these incredible women. Speak through them once again and transform us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Would you please give a one child welcome to Miss Michelle Skellinger. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. All right, so question for you. How many of you are familiar with the saying, the only thing to fear is fear itself? Yes, gold stars for everybody. It was said by President uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And I, I understand where he was, he was going with that statement. Yeah, sort of. On the other hand, I, I'm not sure if I entirely agree with him. I mean, I think there's a, a few more fears out there in the world. Um, you've got your fear of spiders. You've got your fear of small spaces. Um, you've got your fear of snakes. Ooh, that's a big, big, yeah, all sorts of fears. And then you get to the even more personal ones like fear of the future, fear of the unknown, maybe the fear of something bad happening to you or to a family member. Maybe it's a fear um, that somebody's going to find out that thing that you've been trying to hide. There's a lot of fears, I think, in life that we face. But I'm here Not just to talk about the bad news, I'm here to give good news. And the good news is found in 1 John 4, 8. And it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. God's love drives out our fear. That is the good news, no matter what fear you're facing today. One translation actually says it banishes fear, which is like, whoa, get out of here very aggressive. I think it's really, really powerful. So in addition to my fear of snakes, which I willingly admit, a fear that I don't always willingly admit is my fear of failure. 
and I struggle, have struggled with it for most of my life. Um, it didn't really come from my parents, per se. They never really put a lot of pressure on me. I just was that kid who had to do the best at everything that I did. I had to make the straight A's, um, preferably high A's. You know, if I made a B, I might as well have made an F in my mind. So if you can kind of think of that as like a seven-year-old, that pressure that I would put on myself. Yeah. Um, so a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, and then as I grew up and I started working in my 20s, I had the awesome opportunity to be more involved in ministry, and that pressure just kept layer upon layer upon layer. I felt like I had to always keep it together, I had to be perfect, and I was trying to keep this facade that I was going to be the best at everything that I did. You need me to do something? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be the best at it. Well, obviously, after many, many years, it came to a head last year, and the Lord was gracious to me and let me experience something that really exposed that fear of failure in my life. Some of you may have remembered um, that I was offered a really great job last year, and I was really excited about it. I had worked really hard for it. I had invested a lot of time and energy in it. And my excitement I wanted to share with everyone else, so I was telling everybody here and my friends and family, I remember sharing it at the Sunday huddle, being like, I got a job. And of course, it was here in Kyle, so it had to be God's will, right? Um, and so started the job, and for the first time in my life, it was, it was too much. I wasn't really the best qualified for that, and... Um, the stresses overwhelmed me, and I just couldn't understand what was happening. It was like, Michelle, this is not you. You do something, you do it well. You do it the best that you can do, and I was failing horribly, and I had to admit that, and it was, it was a really hard pill to swallow, and because of the extreme stress, uh, it affected my health negatively, and, and I had to resign, and that was a huge failure in my mind. And I just thought, how am I going to face everybody at church or my family? What am I going to tell them? I have failed horribly, which all I wanted to do was just run and hide. I wanted to hide in the cave. I didn't want to come see anybody. I didn't want to tell anybody, which is, is pretty much what humans have been doing from the beginning of time, right? You know, Adam and Eve, they ate that fruit, and God comes looking for them and says, Adam, where are you? And he said, I was afraid, so I hid and I think that that's what we do, that when we're afraid, we try to hide. And so thankfully, the Holy Spirit really impressed upon me to do quite the opposite. And so I started to call people, family, friends. I reached out to some women here at the church, and I was just brutally honest with them. And I said, look, this is what happened. Things did not turn out the way that I planned. I failed. I was not the best at this. And I was so afraid every phone call that I made that they were just going to be so disappointed in me. And you know what happened? It was, it was the exact opposite. They were extending grace and encouragement and love to me. It was God's love casting out that fear. And so with every phone call that I made, I was just receiving that love. And it reminded me of Psalm 34, 4 through 6. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears, and those who look to him are radiant. They are never covered with shame. And so with every conversation that I had, it was God casting out that fear and removing the power of that shame of failure in my life. And it was transformational. 
and and it's been a, a beautiful journey and I've been willing to share more things with people and in that there's life and there's resurrection power and I just remembered that you know God says that when we were dead in our sin Jesus died for us and that's such a powerful powerful concept because it was like wow Jesus when I was really a failure and dead in my sin that's when you loved me so why wouldn't you love me after I've received you and I continue to fail. And it was like a wave-up call for me. It was like, Michelle, newsflash, you've been failing your entire life. <laughs> and I had to just embrace that, but embrace his grace, which just cast out that fear. It cast out that shame. So I don't know what you fear in your life. I don't know if it's many things, if it's one thing, but I can let you know that God's perfect love is greater and I would just encourage you, you know, if you can find a leader here in the church, a man, a woman of God who you can trust, and the power of admitting, you know, I failed in this, or even just admitting I'm afraid of this thing, it's going to expose it to the light, to God's light, and it's going to remove the power from it. He wants us to live in freedom, not in darkness and not in bondage. So I just want to pray over you. Um, this prayer that's found in Ephesians 3, 17 through 18, and it says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And my prayer for you is that that love, that great love would banish and would cast out every single fear in your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is my great honor to introduce the next lovely lady, and I just want to brag on her because I got the mic and I can. Um, she's an amazing mother, and something that stood out to me from uh, the very beginning when I started coming here to One Chapel Kyle is um, how kind and respectful her children are. They're willing to help, and uh, they worship Jesus with passion every week, and it, it blesses me so much, and I think that that's a direct a result of the love that she has planted in their lives. And so it is my great honor uh, to just honor and welcome Miss Christina Campos. So David, my oldest son, um, had got invited to uh, go with some close friends of ours to Schlitterbahn. He was in fourth grade, so water without mom equals drown. I wasn't, yeah. Needless to say, we let him go, and um, I prayed throughout the day, just, Lord, protect him. And um, he did. He came back that, that evening, but then the next morning, um, David started complaining of stomach aches, really bad stomach aches, and we just tried to do home remedies, thought, okay, um, let's see what we can do. Tried everything, nothing worked. So we said, okay, it's time to go to the doctor. Went to the doctor, they ran all kinds of tests, and he had bacteria in his intestines. Um, that hurt. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. So what do we go, what do we do, where do we go from here? Um, they started trying antibiotics on him, um, and finally one began to work. However, he had to be homeschooled for about two to three months. Um, that's just how severe it was. And when your children hurt, mamas, we hurt a million times more for them. Um, 
so as that two or three months, we homeschooled for a little while, and then we tried to get him back to school. Um, that was the hardest thing. That was a totally different story, getting him back to school was, uh, I would go and drop him off every morning, and as I normally did, and he began to say he didn't want to go. Um, I thought, what's wrong? Is somebody bullying you? What, what's going on? He's like, no, Mom, I just feel like the walls are closing in on me. I don't, I don't know what's going on. So um, from there, I just began to pray. My heart was heavy. And I tried everything. I tried buying him new shoes. I tried buying him new clothes, getting him new get, get haircuts all the time, make sure. And it worked for the day until the next day came. And that was getting expensive. So, um, so then after that, I, one day I came home and I went straight to my room and I just cried out to the Lord. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired and I'm hurting for him. Got down on my knees and uh, said, Lord, I surrender all to you. I give you to him. I give him to you. And, uh, Went to bed that evening, next morning, woke up a little bit late, and uh, lo and behold, who's standing by my, my bed? Of course, Jesus, always Jesus. But um, <laughs> there, there, there he was. David was all dressed, ready to go, with his backpack on, going, Mom, well, what are you doing? Come on, we got to go. So I just want to read that the Bible says in Psalms 103, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and his tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Throughout the entire situation, God, had all, God always had the answer. But he patiently waited for me to come to him, unconditional love. Now, with Vincent, during his football season this past year, I remember it so clearly. We were in San Marcos, and the game was going as usual, uh, cheering. I'm up there cheering, go Vincent, yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden it comes to dead silence. Oh, gosh, what happened? Somebody's hurt on the field. Oh, no, all the mothers look. Is it my baby? Is it my baby? Is it my baby? Oh, my God, it's my baby. It was my Vince. He was uh, on the field in a fetal position, um, and I just, my heart just dropped. And I thought, oh, no, what do I do? Do I stay here? Do I go? And I waited. So I, as I saw them pick him up, and they began to bring him to the sidelines, um, I was like, oh, thank God. Then all of a sudden, he just dropped again, collapsed. And my heart collapsed right there with him. And there I go, running down the bleachers, chanclas and all, chanclas, sandals. Um, and running down, running down, climbed, there I went, climbed the fence, jumped over, and ran on the field. And there I go, just running on the field. I'm going to my baby. I'm going to get my baby. Make sure he's okay. And all of a sudden, here's Miss Compost. Miss Compost, no, you can't get on the field. And I'm like, what? My baby's hurt. What are you? What are you talking about? So I went back to the sideline. I listened. I went back to the sideline and waited. They picked him back up, brought him over, 
and he says, Mom, he gives, gives me a hug and a kiss, and he says, Mom, it's okay, I'm okay. The first one was real, but the second one, it was just a play, part of the play, and I thought, you know, blindside, I was like, Coach Burke, how come nobody told me this play? <laughs> <sighs> so in Romans 8.31, it reads, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything? Needless to say, here I am. I couldn't imagine my son being injured so severely that he couldn't get back, even, get back up, even for a game that he loves to play. This, in fact, is what the Father did for us. He gave us his only son so that we could have communion with him. He sacrificed it all. That's unconditional love. Now, Olivia, my precious baby girl, she had a soccer tournament, and the last minutes of one of the games, she had stolen the ball from her opponent. And as she was getting ready to make the pass, the girl tried to take the ball back, and as they fought for the ball, elbows were flying everywhere. We're shorter. The girl was taller than her. And... Uh, <laughs> And Olivia got hit in the nose, and down she went. And there I go, back on the field, running across. <laughs> and um, once I got to her, there was blood coming out of her nose, and she wanted to stay till the end of the game. Mm, she's a little tougher than her brothers. <laughs> Long story short, x-rays, results that she broke her nose, and surgery the following week. My heart was heavy. I asked God, why, why? Lo and behold, the doctor reported she had a deviated septum and was only getting 10% of oxygen supply through one of her nostrils. The Bible says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Romans 8, 28. Had Olivia's nose not ever been broken, we'd have never realized she wasn't getting the oxygen that she needed. Here's a portion of my favorite song. There's no shadow that you won't light up. No mountain that you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall that you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me. See, although I couldn't be in that classroom with David Jr., Jesus was with him 24-7. And although I was running off that football field, they couldn't run Jesus off. He was right there next to Vincent. And though I couldn't be back there with Olivia in that operating room, Jesus was right there with her, guiding the doctor's hands. And I'm here to encourage you today that no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your trial is, it could be your health, finances, your marriage, addiction, Whatever it is, God is right there with you every step of the way. It may be your sins that's weighing you down heavily. But repent. Be obedient. Stay faithful. Because yesterday, it's gone. Today is a new day. And I just wanted to ask you that you repeat this after me. Say it loudly. In the name of Jesus, the victory is mine. And the areas of my life that are most important, which is my family, God, has faithfully and patiently showed me his unconditional love. 
And now will you please welcome Annette Yanez. As a teen, I was told that I had potential, yet I never believed that I could reach that potential. I never believed that I could be good enough. I always thought I would come in second place. So I began to strive for perfection. I began to do everything I could to become the best. This led me on a roller coaster of eating disorders. I was up and down on a cycle, constantly doing things for this perfection, striving to be the best, hurting myself, and then asking God to forgive me. I would ask God to please help me, give me the strength to overcome, then to follow back into my habits. As I got married around 25, or at 25, I believed that I had received freedom. I believed that I would no longer battle with this struggle. However, about six years ago, I relapsed, despite telling myself that I was not what I weigh, that I was loved. But the lies came back stronger. But this time, I used health and fitness as a band-aid, as a cover-up for the shame that I had inside. I began to get stronger, began to lift weights. I even deadlifted a PR of 215, which at five feet or five one is pretty good. <laughs> I also began to cook. I went from not cooking very well to trying to cook these elaborate meals. I was feeling good about myself. However, in the secret, I was alone, I was isolated, and I was angrier than ever. Because how could I, as a mother of three, married for 15 years, be struggling with habits for my teen years? Then I was reminded of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that would keep coming to the well, and she would come at noon to avoid people because she had habits and issues back at home. So she would come to the well seeking water, and she would go back home to her habits and issues. She'd come back to the well for more water, and yet return back to her issues and her habits. And then one day, Jesus met her at the well. And he told her that despite having had five husbands and being with the sixth husband or sixth man that was not her husband, he could offer her living water that would satisfy her, that he could transform her. He gave her mercy, which is a second chance, and grace that transformed her into the first preacher to go out as an evangelist to tell everyone what he had done for her. And like this woman, I began to accept that I was broken. I began to admit that I had shame and that I needed Jesus to transform my mess. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet I have come to give life and life more abundantly. And I wanted that abundant life. I had a good life, great husband, good kids, great family, beautiful home. I had a good life, yet I didn't have the abundant life. So as we entered into 21 days of prayer this year, I began to say, no more, enough. And I began to confess, and I began to ask for prayer, and I reached out to other women in the church, and I began to 
admit and say, I have shame, but I no longer want to carry this. I want living water. And I began to declare scriptures over my life. And I began with 2 Timothy 1.7. For I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. And I began to tell myself, I will not fear what I weigh. I will not fear not being enough. But I have a spirit of love that is stronger. I have Jesus, the power, and self-discipline. Then I began to declare over my life Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works. And I began to tell myself, I am good. I was created for good works. I will not fear. I have love, power, and a sound mind. And then I added to my prayer, Psalms 51.10, create in me a clean heart. And I began to ask God to create in my heart a renewal away from those lies, but that I was a good work. I would not have fear. And then the scripture that I have my kids say almost every morning, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, loved and accepted, Psalms 139.14. And this one was a little harder, but I began to say it, not just to them, but to myself. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, loved and accepted. I am enough. I have no fear. I am a good work. And God creates in me a clean heart. So for years, I sought out freedom and change from shame. I tried all that I could in my own efforts. But God's love healed me and transformed me to be who he has called me to be. So if you have shame or if you feel like you're not good enough, I want to encourage you to allow God's love to come and heal you because he is good enough for us all. I'd like to welcome Maria Parsley. Last spring, I began to have some tingling and numbness in my fingers, and it traveled up my arms. So I went to the chiropractor, thinking it might be a pinched nerve, and that didn't help very much. One day, the tingling moved from my arms into my face, and so we went to the ER. I was feeling very weak and strange. There, they ruled out a stroke and a bunch of other likely causes. They didn't find an answer. I was relieved, but still really scared because I still was having the symptoms. The tingling would move to my legs at times, making it difficult to walk. So we met with a neurologist, and I scheduled an MRI. He wanted to rule out the possibility of multiple sclerosis. MS is a disease that attacks the nervous system and can lead to a decline in brain function and seizures and paralysis, and it runs in my family. My mom's brother, Uncle Dave, had MS. When I was little, my parents took him into our home to care for him. He couldn't walk at that point, and so he stayed in a hospital bed in our living room. He had a trach that needed to be cleaned, and I watched my mom prepare a special diet for him and take care of his every need. My brother and I would sit up on his bed sometimes to watch the Muppets. He was an incredible man. He had great attitude despite all he was going through, and he loved Jesus with all his heart. But after about two years, the disease got the better of him, and he passed away. 
So when I was told that it might be possible that I had MS, fear ran through me. I love being a mom. I love serving my family. It's who I am. The thought of not being able to take care of them, of Brent shouldering the load alone, of the kids without a mom was absolutely terrifying. And then thinking about the prospect of them having to take care of me was absolutely too much. I had a decision to make. How was I going to allow myself to think about my situation while I was waiting for the MRI results? I'm a very logical person who likes to think about the facts and prepare for the expected outcome. And in this case, it seemed highly likely that I could be diagnosed with my family history with MS. Maybe I should just prepare my heart for the worst. Or I could live by faith. I could take God at his word. I could believe him. But what if I believed and still received that bad news? Then I could choose to trust my sovereign Lord that he would carry me through even my worst fear. His ways are higher than my ways, and we don't always understand the scope of his plan. I chose faith over fear. I decided I would not allow worry and fear to overtake me. It was extremely difficult. It felt like a battle in my mind, and I leaned on Brent to help me. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So whenever a fearful thought came into my mind, as soon as I recognized it, I would replace it with God's word. I would get up and I would pray until it was gone. Even still, while I was praying, those lies would creep in. I always had an issue with fear and worry. Even as a kid, I would worry about school. I had a wonderful family, an amazing home, but I would worry about being homeless one day and even that I would go to jail. <laughs> um, I had, and I had allowed these thoughts for so long that now there is a pattern that I had to break. And it was really hard, but I didn't give up. And soon it became easier and easier. And worship was an immense help to me. When fear would overtake me, I would just turn up my worship music and sing and dance for God. I was making a conscious choice to praise him and practice gratefulness, even though my future was uncertain. In these times, God began to renew my mind and fill me with faith. We finally got the call. There were no signs of MS on the MRI. We were so grateful, but I was still dealing with those symptoms and had to continue to fight the fears that it could be the beginnings of MS. But now I had practices in place to help me live in faith. So why is it so hard for us to make the jump from fear into faith? I think the biggest reason is we don't want to get our hopes up and then have our hearts crushed when it doesn't turn out the way we think. We would rather remain in the situation than we, that we are in than take the risk of faith, to believe God's word, to hope for that healing, to wholeheartedly believe for the miracle. But when we do that, 
What amazing, mind-bending things could we be missing out on? Matthew 17.20 says, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The enemy wants us stuck in fear, so we can only see ourselves, our problems, and we can't fulfill God's plans when we're there. Ask God, how can I help others out of my pain? He can use you in the middle of the hard times. No matter what your situation, do not let fear in. It's a choice. Take captive those thoughts. Don't allow even one. God doesn't want us to fear. He's our dad. Do we want our kids to live in fear? No. His love casts out fear. Matthew 6.34 says, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry. Are we going to ignore that? I did for a long time, and it kept me in a cage. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Decide to believe the Bible and actually do what it says. God designed us. He knows how we work best, and he gave us the instructions right here in his word. I'm still experiencing symptoms, and I don't have the answers yet, but I am believing God for my healing. And because I'm not living in fear, I can be joyful. I can serve others and live with purpose. I'm no longer in that cage. I am free. I'm going to believe for the impossible things, the miracles. I'm going to choose faith over fear. Now please welcome Misty Parsley. You know, the way we understand the word love in our culture is often an emotion. We fall in love. We fall out of love. We love someone based on what they do or what they don't do. But did you know that the word love in the Bible is actually translated as an action? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So to give you a little bit of a backstory, um, I grew up very rough to say the least. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. There's divorce on my family as far back as you can go on both sides. My parents got divorced when I was five. And after my dad left, my mom, she had no way of coping. She had no way of coping with it. And she fell into a deep depression and became very suicidal. And, and it was like I lost both of my parents at the same time. And it was shortly after that that my innocence was stolen from me. I was sexually and physically abused for the majority of my childhood. My life, it was completely hopeless, completely broken from the start. I was destined for failure. I was destined to repeat the only life that I had, that I had known. And for those of you that don't know, I'm married to uh, Zach Parsley. He's the guy that's jamming on the bass. Uh, <laughs> so he and I grew up polar opposites, right? So his... In his family, literally everyone is a pastor on his mom's side and his dad's. His dad's the one that started one chapel, and his uncle is Pastor Brent, if that helps give you a little bit of an idea of where he came from. Uh, he grew up in a very loving home. He had both of his parents. It was all sunshine and roses and daisies, and his dogs poop rainbows and all that. So he had a great life. <laughs> 
And I'm pretty sure that he's never done anything wrong in his life. Uh, so when Zach and I, when we were talking about getting married, uh, we went ring shopping. So we went to all these different places. We could not find a ring at all. I'm very picky, just so you all know. Couldn't find a ring. We're going everywhere looking. And then finally we come to the, this last place. And there it was, the ring. We both fell in love with it. It was in our price range. It was, it, it was the one, right? And for those of you that don't know, something I love probably more than most things in life is I love getting what I want. I love getting my way, like really, really love it. Probably too much. <laughs> um, so the day had finally come when I knew I was going to get the ring that I had wanted because I get what I want, remember? So here we are. He's down on one knee. He's telling me all the amazing things about me, how great I am, how awesome, blah, 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 how he's going to buy me everything in the world, you know. Uh, <laughs> so as he's down there, he finally he pulls out the ring box, and I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm getting it. I know I'm getting it. So he's down there, and he opens up the ring box, and I look down, fully expected to see the ring I wanted. Y'all, he did not get me the ring I wanted. I'm all hold up. That is not what we talked about. <laughs> Here, we have a, I have a picture of it. Go ahead and show it. Aww. So this be beautiful ring, yes, we love it. It's great now. Uh, <laughs> it just wasn't what I was expecting. And Zach really wants me to tell y'all that it was more expensive than the ring that he had planned. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> He's really adamant about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, the diamond's bigger. Um, so it wasn't what I wanted, right? Like, I'm struggling with this. So, so all of our friends, all of our family's there. Everyone's there. So his mom comes up to me, and she's like, so do you like it? What do you think? Like, she's really excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's really beautiful. And she's like, she's like it was his great-grandmother. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's really sweet. And then also, how the heck am I supposed to get the ring I want now? I can't give his great grandma's ring back. I can't do that. So I'm struggling with this, y'all, like for real. So it was about a week after this point, and I'm driving in my truck, and I'm still struggling. And I'm looking at the ring, and it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, it's beautiful. And I started to pray. I'm like, Lord, give me a way to give this ring back and get the ring I want. Yes, I am that ridiculous about getting what I want. So... As I'm praying this prayer, the Lord spoke to me, and it was so clear. Mm. Ah, hold on. He said, this ring isn't just a ring. This is a symbol of the new heritage that I'm giving you. Everything that you went through, all the pain, all the loneliness, the brokenness, the abandonment, everything is gone. It's covered. I'm giving you a new heritage. See, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you see, the love of God is not an emotion, but it's an action. It's not an action of giving us what we want. It's an action of giving us what we need. It's the action of taking us out of the life that we deserve into a life that is perfect and whole and wonderful and full of love and life. It's from turning what the enemy meant for evil into good. It's the act of chasing after you, even when you walk away. Even when you're not faithful, he is still faithful. It's the action of giving you a new heritage. 
Every time I look at this ring, I'm reminded not only of the love of the most amazing husband ever, but I'm reminded of the love of the most amazing God ever, that he loved me enough to save my worthless life, that he brought me out of that shame and that darkness and that horrible situation, and he placed me in a family that loves Jesus wholeheartedly with everything that they have, and that have, they're rooted in him. It's not an emotion that changes every so often. It's an action that never gives up and it never changes. His love is relentless in pursuit of you, so much so that he gave his one and only son so that he can be in relationship with you. His love is not an emotion, it's an action. Never wavering, never changing, and never ending. Thank you. Yeah, that's good, everybody. And give a hand, please, to all of these ladies for that incredible, incredible words.